they can present with this inflammatory syndrome. So it's just been coming to note in the past week or two, and there's a lot more information coming out on it now. Now, if you haven't got time to watch this video, I'll just give you the bottom line. This is rare, so don't worry too much because it's very rare, but do worry quite a lot because it's quite serious. So what it means is we don't need to worry about this for the vast majority of children, but the children it does present in, it's a serious disease. So it's rare, but important to know about. Now, children are presenting with a high fever, rash often in large parts, covering large parts of the skin surface area, swelling in the hands and feet, diarrhea and vomiting with abdominal pain, pain in the legs, arms and hands and feet, and red, red eyes, red inflamed eyes. Now, not all of those features might be present because this is a syndrome. It can present in different ways. But just remember those features and be alert for those. So high fever, rash, swelling in the hands and feet, diarrhea and vomiting, abdominal pain, redness in the eyes or indeed redness in the mouth. Now, if any of these symptoms present, then take medical advice straight away. I mean, parents should always take medical advice, of course, if they're unworried, if they're worried about their child for, for any reason, if they're uncomfortable. But these are particular sort of red flag symptoms. Think, oh, I better take medical advice on that and do it quickly because children that are treated quickly seem to be doing well. If, de if there's a delay in medical treatment, then the child might not do as well. So most cases are doing well, but there have been deaths. So that's the bottom line of this video. So if you're short of time, do uh, leave us now, that's fine. <laughs> um, but do have a high index of suspicion for this in children. And these are children that have previously been well. Children that perhaps you've never noticed that they've had a COVID-19 infection. So previously healthy children just presenting with any of those features, high index of suspicion. Now, let's look at more detail for those of you that want to stay. Now, <clears throat> um, it's, it's paediatric, so it's occurring in children. Multi-system means it's affecting different systems of the body. It's inflammatory and it's a syndrome. So a syndrome is a group of clinical features. So it's like when you get a cold, you get a bit of a headache, you get stuffed up sinuses, you get a runny nose, you get a stuffed up feeling in your nose, you might get a sore throat. All of these things, you might get a bit of a temperature. All of these things go together. It's kind of a, a syndrome. But you don't necessarily have all of the features. You might just have one or two of them. So it's a syndrome. It's a collection of symptoms because it presents in different ways. Now, there's been cases so far reported in the United States, Spain, Italy, France, Netherlands but not China. Now, this is very strange. Why would we be seeing cases in the Western countries, but not in China? That is somewhat difficult to explain, and at the moment I can't explain it. Now that this has been identified, I strongly suspect the Chinese authorities and paediatricians will be going back and looking over their data, and they might identify some cases retrospectively. But as of now, no cases reported in China that I can find in the literature. Now, most, most of the children tested negative for coronavirus, but tested positive for the detection of antibodies. Right, in other words, the children didn't have COVID-19 disease at the time, but there's evidence that many, but not all, have been exposed to it in the past by developing antibodies. 
So at the moment, we can say that this disease seems to be associated with COVID-19, not so much because of direct pathological evidence of that, but rather more because of the timing. So we've had the COVID-19, we've had the delay, and now we're seeing these symptoms in children. So, so it's more an association of timing, really, rather than association of specific um, biochemical and microbiological findings at the moment. That may change, but it's kind of where we're at just now. So it, 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 there's a temp, what we call a temporal association. It's associated in time. One seems to occur after the other. But apart from that, we're still struggling. But we do know we're seeing many more of these cases, maybe 30 times more than we would normally expect. So up to a six-week delay. So <clears throat> quite a long potential delay um, so far. Now, there are references from the US. So I'll put all these notes in the description as always, and you can click on those and check them for yourself. Now, doctors are investigating at least 150 children in the United States. Um, mostly from New York, but not entirely. And we did look at the age distribution yesterday in New York. We found it was mostly slightly older children. Now, th there were percentages yesterday in New York because there was exactly 100 uh, children, so sadly 100 children. Um, so, so the numbers and the percentages were the same thing. Uh, uh, but it did occur in young people up to the age of 21. So it's not necessarily children. We're talking about children, teenagers, and what we would really call young adults in the 18 to 21-year-old age group as well. So they're being investigated in the United States. Now, the um, <clears throat> CNN news agency in the States um, uh, have said that cases are being investigated in 17 different states, at least 17 different states. And uh, Dr. Burns from the Boston Children's Hospital has said this is a multi-system inflammatory syndrome, not directly caused by the virus. So when people present into hospital with this syndrome, we wouldn't expect to find the virus, but we may well find the antibodies. So now, to be fair, some doctors are already saying that this might be some, that what might happen is that the virus might attack certain tissues of the body, but then the inflammatory reaction to that attack is delayed. So some doctors are saying it may be an effect of the virus. Uh, Dr. Burns is here is saying it's not directly an effect of the virus. So, so basically, we're not sure yet. But uh, anyway, this is what Dr. Burns says. Not directly caused by the virus. That's what he's saying. Or if it is, there's a delay. And uh, this, the, the leading hypothesis is that it is due to the immune response of the patient. So I think that's fairly well accepted, that it's perhaps not the virus itself, but the inflammatory reaction, the immunological reaction that the virus triggers in this minority of children that get this syndrome. So that's from the United States. Now, from the UK, <clears throat> up to 100 children affected in the UK. The initially identified cohort was 20, I believe, and now there's up to 100. Some have needed intensive care while others have recovered quickly. So again, we see a, a spectrum of presentations here. Uh, now, most of those that have had intensive care have made a good recovery, although we'll see, tragically, there has been a death in the UK and uh, three deaths that I know of in New York. Um, and the other thing, of course, that always bothers me about this needing intensive care is that this is not 
always going to be available in poorer parts of the world. So this could increase the case fatality rate in children in poorer parts of the world, this new multi-system paediatric inflammatory syndrome. So the children that got intensive care and were treated in the US and the UK could well have died if they'd been in poorer parts of the world. Now, uh, putting together clinical features from the US and the, uh, the UK, I've got more precise detail on this later, but high fever, rash, red eyes, swelling particularly of the hands and feet, abdominal pain, diarrhoea and vomiting, confusion or oversleepy. This is always an alarm sign in children. If children are, sorry, if children are confused or oversleepy, that's always concerning. A generalised pain, apparently particularly in the limbs, and concerningly involvement of the vital organs like the heart. So renal is kidneys, cardiac is, is heart, of course, which is particularly um, a particularly worrying feature. And uh, <clears throat> evidence of uh, blood vessel inflammation. So it seems that this is causing inflammation of blood vessels Inflammation of blood vessels going to the kidneys, inflammation of blood vessels going to the heart. And inflammation, of course, you get the swelling, which is going to reduce the amount of blood that can go through to the heart muscle, presumably. And so evidence of blood vessel in involvement uh, to look out for, red eyes, bright or red tongue. Now, I don't think I've seen that reported specifically. That's a well-known feature in Kawasaki disease, but I'm not sure I've seen it specifically. But it's certainly a, a feature in children that medit merits an immediate medical opinion. And cracked lips are often reported. So red eyes are commonly reported, though. So um, basically things that indicate... Um, inflammation in the blood vessels and of course in the eye you, you've got lots of little blood vessels that you can see that's why you can get such red irritated eyes when you get the, the inflammation called conjunctivitis there so things to look out for there now um, <clears throat> early treatment is needed to prevent organ damage if the organs are under threat early treatment can prevent organ damage so children with the presentation appear to be responding well to treatments in hospitals in the US and the UK. Um, again, this concerns me for children in the poor parts of the world who don't have access to this kind of care. And we don't need to go into the treatment details, but the paediatricians and the intensive care doctors are using immunoglobulins, which are immune proteins, and they're also using steroids, which are very powerful drugs that suppress inflammation. They are very powerful anti-inflammatory drugs. But these are things the intensive care doctors and the paediatricians are well used to. Now, um, I found a paper, hyperinflammatory shock in children during the COVID-19 pandemic in The Lancet. Now, you can see that's quite carefully worded. They're saying they're seeing this... High, now, hyper is high... So in medicine, hyper is always high, like hypertension is high blood pressure or hyperglycemia would be high blood sugar levels, whereas hypo is always low. So hypotension, low blood pressure, hypertension, high blood pressure. Hypoglycemia would be low blood sugar. So um, this is high levels of infl inflammation and it's shock. 
Now, shock has got a specific meaning in, in medical language. Um, it means that there is a failure of the circulatory system to perfuse the tissues of the body adequately. It's a circulatory failure, very often associated with low blood pressure. We used to say that uh, shock is a state of acute hypotension resulting in reduced tissue perfusion and oxygenation. Um, if you want to watch previous videos I've made on shock, you're more than welcome to do so. But the main thing about shock is, is that there is reduced perfusion of the tissues of the body with blood. Therefore, many different tissues of the blood do not get enough blood supply. And if you're talking about something like the kidneys, if they don't get enough blood supply, they'll stop working. If you're talking about something like the heart, if that doesn't get enough blood supply, the heart muscle won't be able to work properly. Of course, if you're talking about the brain, the blood supply to the brain can be reduced, and that's obviously a remarkably dangerous feature. So they're talking about this syndrome where there's a, uh, increased inflammation associated with poor tissue perfusion and circulatory failure in children, which just so happens to have, have occurred during the COVID-19 pandemic. They're not saying it's caused by it. So very cautious writing here in The Lancet. Now, this is not a research article as such. It's a clinical report. If you do click on the link, though, they've got great details, if you want great details, about all of the patients. So it's a very good quality report. Now, to put this in context, South Thames Retrieval Service for children, there's two million children in their area that they are potentially responsible for. In 10 days in mid-April, there was eight cases. So we're looking at perhaps about 20 cases in the month in this large area. So, so far, not too many, but we know this is a delayed syndrome. So we have to be on alert for the potential of more cases presenting. And of course, it terrifies me that poorer children could simply die from this in different parts of the world. So this caused the national alert in the UK, and we reported on that when it came out last week, that this was reported on, that people need to have this high index of suspicion. Now, all children in this cohort of eight that presented in this 10-day period were previously fit and well. So we're talking about healthy children here. Now, we've got a couple of statistics here. Now, the number is so small, these eight cases, that we don't know if this is significant yet. But it's interesting to note that six out of eight were Afro-Caribbean. So is this a disease that is affecting people with darker coloured skin more than people with lighter coloured skin? We don't yet know. We know the implications of that in terms of vitamin D. So that's me thinking out loud. The sample size is too small. We don't yet know that. But what I can report with certainty from The Lancet is that six out of eight of these children were of Afro-Caribbean descent. Does that mean anything? Don't know. Don't know yet. Too small a sample size. Could do. Could do. Five out of eight were boys, so that's five out of eight. Does that mean anything? Well, again, there's more boys than girls, but the sample size is simply too small to, to tell. So it could be, could be affecting boys more than girls. We don't know yet. Now, this is the clinical presentation from The Lancet, and um, <clears throat> this is good because it is given in fairly uh, precise medical terminology, so we can understand this. Now, first of all, we notice that there's unrelenting fever, 38 to 40 degrees centigrade, so that's a high fever. I should have checked that in Fahrenheit, but it's a high, it's a high fever. So, uh, well over 100 in, in Fahrenheit, a high fever. 
38 to 40 degrees centigrade. Variable rash, but often quite a red, angry-looking rash and often covering quite a lot of the body. The conjunctiva is the front layer of the eye, so conjunctive itis, whenever you see I-T-I-S on the end of a word, it means inflammation of. So itis on the end always means inflammation of, so this is inflammation of the front of the eye. In other words, the children get red eyes. Peripheral oedema. Now, in the States, you don't have the O. Now, peripheral means usually means hands and feet. And oedema, or edema, if you're in the States, means uh, an accumulation of fluid in the tissues. In other words, if you had oedema in your hands, your hands would become swollen and puffy. So swollen and puffy feet. Fluid collecting in the tissues, in the hands and feet particularly. Generalised extremity pain. So again, in the limbs, particularly in the hands and feet. And this pain does seem to be quite bad. It seems to be quite a severe pain. Whether that's caused by reduced blood supply to the periphery, to the arms and legs, don't know yet. Could well be. Significant gastrointestinal symptoms. So gastrointestinal, that's the stomach and the intestines. So this is abdominal pain, diarrhoea, vomiting. That's what significant gastrointestinal symptoms means. Now, they all progress to a warm shock. Now, uh, vasoplegic means the blood vessels stopped. <coughs> means the blood vessels stopped, um, it became paralysed, really. So I'll just tell you briefly what normally happens. So um, what normally happens is... For the blood pressure, if you imagine you're watering your garden, right, and you want to um, squirt someone over the hedge, then what you do is you squeeze the end of the hose pipe, and that makes the end of the hose pipe go more narrow. So that increases the pressure, so the water squirts out instead of dribbling out. And exactly the same thing happens with the blood vessels in the body. So to increase the blood pressure, the blood vessels will contract and go down like that, so that means the lumen is smaller, so the pressure of the blood is higher. But then when the blood pressure wants to go down, the blood vessels will dilate, and that will reduce the pressure in the blood vessels. So what's happening here is normally when the blood pressure goes down, there will be a reflex that makes the vessels contract like that to increase the blood pressure again. But what's happening in these children is that the blood vessels are paralysed and they're not moving. So they're staying there. So they can't contract to increase the blood pressure. Therefore, the blood pressure becomes low. And if the blood pressure is low, that means the blood pressure is not sufficient to, perf to perfuse the tissues of the body. So, for example, the reason I'm able to talk to you now is because my brain is being perfused with blood. So there is enough pressure in the arteries in my neck coming from my heart to squirt the blood up to my brain. There's enough pressure to get the blood up to my brain, to perfuse my brain. But that depends on pressure because the blood always goes from areas of high pressure to areas of low pressure, as does any fluid. And if the pressure suddenly dropped, then the perfusion to my brain will go down. And if it dropped enough, I would become unconscious and faint. So we need these tone of the blood vessels. So if the tone of the blood vessels is lost, the blood pressure will also be lost, and that results in shock, and shock results in reduced perfusion 
a reduced blood supply through the tissues. If that's the reduced blood supply to the muscles of the heart, it'll get heart problems. If it's reduced blood supply to the kidneys, there'll be renal problems and the, the child could stop producing urine, for example. So that's what that means. So they all progress. That's why it's so important that they're in expert medical care, because all eight of them progress to this uh, vasoplegic shock. And the thing about this was refractory to volume resuscitation. Now, what the heck does that mean? Well, refractory means it doesn't work, and volume resuscitation means they were given intravenous fluids. So normally, if someone's got low blood pressure, you put in some fluid, and that will make the blood pressure go up again. But if it's refractory to volume resuscitation, if it's refractory to giving fluids into the veins, then that means the blood pressure didn't go up when these children were given fluids because the blood vessels weren't responding. That, that, that was the problem. That's why they were shocked. And eventually they required uh, noradrenaline. Now, what noradrenaline does is noradrenaline is a drug that will constrict the blood vessels. It will artificially constrict the blood vessels, therefore increase the blood pressure. And uh, they were also given a drug which uh, improved the function of the heart and improved the circulation to the lungs. So they need to be given quite specialist drugs. And, of course, these drugs are only given under the closest of medical supervision. Um, so these children needed this medical care. Now, interestingly, most children had no significant respiratory involvement. Most of them, this wasn't affecting the lungs. Now, the pleural space is round about the lungs, the pericardial space is round about the heart, and ascites means fluid in the, uh, in the abdominal cavity. So basically, they were collecting a bit of fluid around the heart, a bit of fluid around the lungs, sorry, a bit of fluid around the heart and a bit of fluid in the abdomen. And this is suggestive of this uh, diffuse inflammatory process. So diffuse means the inflammatory process is affecting many parts of the body. Sorry if this is getting a bit technical, but uh, there we go. <clears throat> right, um, I'm just trying to translate this paper into English, really. All children tested negative for the uh, severe acute respiratory syndrome, coronavirus 2. So none of the children had the antigen. None of them had the antigen. They did not have the acute COVID-19 infection. And no pathological organism was identified in seven of the children. In other words, what happens in hospital, they'll take blood and they'll take swabs all over the place. And they'll send those to these clever people called microbiologists. And they'll look for the presence of bacteria and they'll look for the presence of viruses. And they'll do tests like culture and sensitivity tests where they grow up the bacteria or they grow up the viruses and, and, and see if it's there. Often growing up the viruses in eggs and things like that. Um, so what they're saying is that no disease-causing uh, bugs, no pathological organisms, were identified in seven of the children. But one of the children did have adenovirus and enteroviruses. Now, this is not surprising. I mean, I mean these are very, very common viruses in children, often associated with just things like a sniffly nose. So it's not surprising that uh, one of the child had these viruses. It's, but they're very common in children. I don't think it was particularly significant. And the authors certainly didn't comment on it as being significant. But what is significant is they did echo studies on the heart and they found that the coronary arteries were giving out a strong echo, which presumably means they're inflamed. Now, the coronary arteries are the arteries that supply the blood to the heart muscle, to this vital heart muscle called the myocardium. 
the contractile muscle of the heart gets its blood supply from these coronary arteries and they seem to be inflamed. If they're inflamed, they will be swollen and that would reduce the blood supply to the heart, which of course is, is a serious feature. And there was one death from a large cerebrovascular. Now, cerebro means to do with the brain. Vascular is blood vessels. So the blood supply to the brain... And an infarct is an area of tissue which was cut off from its blood supply. So one child died from a large, basically from a very large stroke. The blood supply to part of the brain was cut off this cerebrovascular infarct. So what happens is that the, the, the blood vessels supply areas of the brain. So the, these are blood vessels here, the blood's going up here. And they supply areas of the brain with blood. So that arterial branch will go into that area of brain. And if that's cut off with a large blood clot, for example, uh, then that area of brain will die. And the area that dies is the area of infarct. And if it's a cerebral infarct, it's part of the blood supply to the brain that was cut off. So uh, sadly, that was the cause of death in that child, a, a, a cerebrovascular infarct the brain infarcted an area of the brain died because its blood supply was cut off that's that's what that means now the author said it's a new phenomenon affecting previously asymptomatic children children without symptoms um, who have had SARS coronavirus 2 infection so this is the likely cause but it's not proved for sure yet but it means we have to have a high index of suspicion. So it's a new phenomenon. This is, this is a new disease not seen before, affecting previously healthy children. Now, the even if the child had had coronavirus, uh, COVID-19 disease, six weeks before, then the parents might not have noticed it because children get such mild disease to begin with. Um, but this complication is not mild. And uh, it's multifaceted, so it can affect many areas of the body and uh, can present in different ways. And uh, that's the new article you can click on, which I haven't had time to review yet, just out in the last few hours. So 